Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. At Christmas time, we don't think too much about sacrifice, right? I mean, it's, normally that's an Easter kind of thing. We think about the cross and we think about what Christ did for us. But Christmas time is, is so important with sacrifice because Jesus came to give himself for us. He gave himself up for us so we could be free from sin and darkness. But you know, Christmas is all about lights and songs and parties and fun. And I mean, we just don't know sacrifice very much. Unless you're a parent. Now, if you're a parent, it's different, right? Because you know sacrifice as a parent. You understand because you're sacrifice to maybe financially for, for, for Christmas to make sure your kids can have the kind of Christmas experience you want them to give. Maybe you're sacrificing in, in other ways. And I was thinking this morning, I was like, you know what, there's a great story I got as a kid uh, about sacrifice. And um, one Christmas Eve, I don't know how old I was, I might have been eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. When I was a kid growing up, I shared this last week, whenever there was Christmas, man, we would pull out the catalogs, our brothers and I, man, we would pull out the catalogs and, you know, you had Penny, Sears is pretty good, but Toys R Us was the holy grail. Like, Toys R Us was it. And you circled, man, what you wanted and that kind of thing. And there was always that one gift, right? Always that one gift that I wanted, my brothers wanted, and my parents would, would try to get that. Well, this particular year, the one gift I wanted was a, a Super City van from Micro Machines. I know anyone played in Micro Machines. I might have been the only one. Some of y'all did because you get it. Good. It, it was a lot of fun. I liked Hot Wheels, but I love Micro Machines. I'm sorry, I love Micro Machines. And uh, so I wanted this Super City van. It, would, it, would, it was a minivan. Now, that, that's not cool, obviously, but the minivan would fold out. That was the cool part. It would fold out into a city. Oh, good, we got it on the screen. Yeah, it would fold out into this right here, man, a whole city, which is really cool. And uh, I wanted that. So my dad, I lived in Greenville, and so me and my dad, he looked everywhere for that thing. He, it was sold out in Greenville, Anderson, Spartanburg, but there was one Toys R Us that had it. And it was the Toys R Us off of Harbison Boulevard in Columbia. Now, I lived in Columbia for six years, three as an undergrad at Carolina, three as, as a seminary student at CIU. And, and I can tell you, and if you have any, any familiarity at all with Columbia, you cringe and your eye twitches when you hear the word Harbison Boulevard. It is not the place you want to be. You think Clemson is bad, bumper to bumper on game day, ain't got nothing on Harbison. That is every day, all the time. And at Christmas, it's worse. You'll sit in traffic for almost an hour trying to move. So dad, he, they, they have it. Do you have the, the Super City minivan thing? My kid wants, yes, Mr. Bowler, we got it. Okay, great. Can you hold it for me? Yes, sir, we can hold it. And so we go to bed, and Dad took off. And as we're sleeping, he's going. Now, from my house where I grew up to, to Toys R Us in Columbia, there, it, it was about a 100-mile one-way thing. So it's a 200-mile or so round trip. And Dad went all the way down there, got the Super City minivan, and came all the way back. And on Christmas morning, you know, we, we opened up our gifts and found that one gift. Man, I was super excited. I actually still have it to this day. I wasn't able to bring it this morning, but I still have it. Uh, and it meant a lot to me as a kid. And then when I found out the story later on as, as I got older, it meant that much more uh, because that was a big deal, man. My, my dad going over. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I questioned my own fatherhood. Would I drive 100 miles for a toy? I don't know, but my dad did, man. So he kind of set the bar. I guess I have to now. Sacrifice. 
There's no sacrifice greater, though, than the sacrifice that Christ gave for us. And I mentioned already that he was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. He satisfied God's judgment. He took away our sin. Um, but that's where this gift of myrrh comes into play. Myrrh, again, these are all given with a purpose. And so myrrh comes into play right here with Jesus being our sacrifice. So I want to I revisit the story of the Magi real quick here, uh, part of the story anyway. Um, when they get to Jesus, I'm going to blow your nativity scene up. I don't, you know, sorry, not sorry, I guess, but he's, he's not a baby. Uh, there's no, there's no stable. He's probably somewhere between 18, 24 months, we think, and he's in a house in Bethlehem at this point. And so the Magi visit him, and uh, Matthew 2, verse number 9, the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Of the three gifts that Christ receives, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, myrrh is probably the one we know the least about. Like most of us probably don't know much about myrrh. We know gold, like who doesn't? We all know gold. Frankincense, if you're into the essential oil thing, like you know frankincense for sure, it's an oil, it's an incense. What in the world is myrrh? So myrrh is, is, is like a gum kind of substance. It's mentioned 17 times or so in Scripture, and it was used primarily to embalm the dead. That's what you would use myrrh for. Now you could also use it as an antiseptic. So when Christ is on the cross, uh, the, the soldiers dip a sponge into a mixture of wine and myrrh, and they offer it to him, and he rejects it. It doesn't taste very good. Um, but but it, it could be used that way too. But mostly it's an embalming type component. You use that to embalm the dead. And certainly when he's taken off the cross and he's laid in the tomb, he's been embalmed with myrrh. It's a great picture though, and it's a pretty clear picture that, that this, this gift says, that Jesus is our sacrifice. And specifically, we're going to talk about here today, he is our suffering servant who was born to die for our sins. So I want to take you back 700 years, man. I want to go back 700 years before Christ was born to ancient Israel to a prophet named Isaiah, who under the inspiration of God's Spirit, he spoke some incredible things about the coming Messiah. So Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. And we have left God's path to follow our own. And yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So Isaiah is like, hey, you got a problem. All of us, humanity, every single one of us, you know what? We're like sheep, which is not a compliment, by the way. Right? You ever notice you can train a lot of animals? Like I can train my dog. I've, I've got a golden retriever, which I think is the greatest dog on the planet. You know, I love golden retrievers. And he can sit and lay down and shake and do all those great things. Uh, and, and, and it's fantastic. I can train a dog. I, I, you can train elephants. You can train lions. You cannot train a sheep. Like you ever heard someone say, hey, come here, let me watch my sheep sit or my sheep shake? Like no one's going to do You can't train a sheep. Sheep don't do that, right? Sheep are known for being weak. They're known for being dumb. They're known for being really stubborn and, and just kind of honestly, sheep are known for being defenseless. They have, they have no defense. Yeah, rams have horns, but sheep can't really defend themselves. They can't blend in with camouflage. They can't outrun predators. They have no poison quill. I mean, they are as good as Dinner. When the when the wolves are circling, they're putting pepper on them right now. We're just gonna give you a head start, bro. Come on, like the sheep are dinner. They got they got nothing. 
And Isaiah is saying, this is who we are as people, humanity. We are weak. We're not strong enough to withstand temptation on our own. We're not strong enough to overcome evil on our own. And if you think we are, the only example I would want to offer you is the current state of our world. We can't do it on our own. We're not, we're not able to do that. And before you get offended about being dumb, individuals are great. Some of y'all know where I'm going with this. Individuals are great. Smart, incredible, talented. I have a lot of faith in individuals. I have zero faith in the masses. You know what I'm saying? Like the humanity as a whole does not necessarily do the, the best thing. Like as, I don't, most of us here probably don't. As a whole, we kind of represent this a little bit, don't we? Isaiah says we're stubborn. Sheep, sheep do their own thing. They're stubborn. Well, we do too. We do our own thing. We are good at doing what we want to do. And humanity is easily manipulated. You may not be easily manipulated as an individual, but humanity certainly is. Listen to me. If you can get somebody to think that what it is you want them to do is their idea, nine times out of ten, they'll do it. Even if they didn't want to do it in the first place because you convinced them they thought of it and it was their idea. A little advertising, right? Like, we're really good at that. So we, we kind of do our own thing. We can be manipulated a little bit. Sheep need a lot of help. They've gone off the rails. They go under their own paths. And so, you know, we've done the same thing. We, we wander. Sheep will wander quite a bit. When a sheep wanders too much, shepherds will, will, will bring them back. But if it does it too often, you know what a shepherd does? I don't have too much time to get into this today, but I will just tell you this. A shepherd, if a sheep wanders too much, the shepherd will, will sometimes, he'll break that sheep's legs. And he'll just take that sheep everywhere he goes with him. When the sheep wants to eat, he puts him down. When he wants to drink, he puts him down. When he needs to sleep, he puts him down. And what the shepherd teaches that sheep throughout that whole ordeal is that you are nothing without me. And God is tell you that sometimes God has to do that to us. Where we think we're doing our own thing, we're going our own way, and God says, look, I've had enough. I'm gonna, it's going to hurt. It's going to be a tough season you're going to go through, but you must learn to be dependent on me. That's extra. That's not part of the message today, but that's, that, that's what God will do. So God chose, despite all of that, he, he chose to keep his promise to Abraham to bless the nations through his descendants. He chose to keep the promise to David that his royal lineage would never end. He chose to do all those things and to save humanity by sending Christ to die for us. Isaiah 53, 7, that's kind of continuing the whole sheep illustration. He says the Messiah would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He's talking about his, Jesus' trials here. He would not open his mouth, right? Let's back up to verse number 3. Still staying in 53, chapter 53. Verse number 3. Isaiah says, He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We don't think about that with Jesus, do we? But he was a man who understood grief. He understood pain. He understood suffering. He tur we turned our backs on him and he looked the other way. He was uh, despised that we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God. A punishment for his own sins. And if you look at the life of Christ... The leadership, the Sanhedrin, they certainly thought that. They thought that he was a sinner. When he gets executed, they're like, yeah, you're getting what you deserve. This is all being played out. 
But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Now that's 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah gives that prophecy, right? And everything happens exactly as he said he would. When you come to the realization that you know, Christ suffered so much, that he went through all the things he went through, that he sacrificed for you in such an incredible way, I, you know, for me, I, I, don't know, I don't know if you can just casually accept that. Yeah, I understand what he did. I understand what he went through. I understand how he suffered. Yeah, okay. All right. Good. Happened a long time ago. I, I don't know if you can do that. Because when you truly, fully come to grips with what Jesus did, it, it moves you. It moves you beyond some label of, hey, I'm a Christian. It moves you past that. It moves you. It changes your life. It brings you to a place where you have to live your faith out. You have no other response. I've got to go all in. Because if I don't go all in, I'm not going to go in at all. Like, I've got to go all in for Christ. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, late in the evening, He's going to get arrested soon. You know, he's wrestling with God's will and wrestling if he should follow through with this. You know, we, we don't always think about that. We, we kind of think, well, he was God's son. He died on the cross. He's supposed to do that. Jesus was in agony over that. He was looking for a way. He would have loved to have done it a different way. He said, well, how do you know that? I want to take you to this passage in Luke. I want you to see what this is like. This is not, you know, when Jesus is speaking, he, he, you know, we, we, you're going to read that he asked for God's will to be done. This is not some, you know, calm, cool, collected, perfect British vernacular like thy will be done. No, that was terrible. Anyway, <laughs> you know, it's, that's how I, but that's how I feel. <laughs> I don't like how Jesus is portrayed in movies. Can you not tell? Like, I just don't like that. He's not, he's this white British dude. That's not who he was. Anyway. But he's, he, here's what he says. Father, if you're willing, if you're willing, hey, I don't want to do this, right? If you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. I know what's coming. I know what's ahead. I don't want to do it. What is plan B? Do we got plan B? Because I love to know what plan B is. Can we do this? Is there another option? Yet, I want your will done, not mine. So it's okay. Look, when you go to God in prayer, you can pray for that. Hey, Lord, I want this to happen. I'd like that to happen. Whatever it is, as long as you come back to this conclusion of, but in the end, I really want your will done because your will is greater than mine. As long as you understand God's will is the perfect, even if you don't want to go through it, it's God's will which is perfect for you. This is an example of Christ. I want your will done. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently. He prays with more passion, more intensity here, okay? And he was in such agony of spirit. Look at this part. That his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now that sounds almost mythical. But it's an actual rare condition. Do you know that? It's a rare medical condition. I ran it by my wife. She's a pediatric nurse. I just want to make sure I was right about this. I said, babe, is this real? And so a condition called hematodrosis. What is hematodrosis? It's, it's so rare. Only a handful of cases happen in the last century alone, but it happens. And it occurs when humanity, like a person is under such great psychological, emotional stress and agony. 
that the capillaries that are near their sweat glands begin to burst. And the blood mixes in with the sweat so that you're actually sweating blood. It's, a, it's an actual condition. But to, to, the fact that only a handful of cases have it just in the last 100 years or so, should show you how rare it is, yes, but also should show you the kind of anxiety and stress you have to be under to go through that. When Jesus was in the garden, he was suffering. You know, if you're out there today, if you're watching today, listening today, if, you're, if you struggle with anxiety and you struggle with stress, you're like, oh, you know, everyone gives me the Christian answer, God's peace, you know. Listen, I may not know what your level's like, but God does. Jesus was there, and he went through it. He went through deeper agony and stress than you've gone through, I promise you. And when he says, I've got peace for you, he knows what he's talking about. Because he's been there, he's done that, and he can give it what you need. He can give that peace that can calm your anxiety and your stress. He's been there. Then what happens next? Suffering servant. Think about this. He suffers. One of his closest friends, as Judas, comes over and turns him in to the Sanhedrin, to the Jewish authorities. This is one of his best buddies. Been doing life with this guy for three years. Enough trust that Judas had the money bag. He, he was the treasurer. He kept the finances, man. There's a lot of trust there with Judas. Then he gets put on trial in kangaroo court fashion. I don't have time to go through how that, how that played out. But the way he did it from Mosaic law was not accurate. It was not legal. Then they convinced the Romans, Pontius Pilate, to kill Jesus for treason. He claimed to be a king. You can't have any king but Caesar. In fact, the crowd chanted, the crowd itself will shout, we have no king but Caesar. That's true. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's the big dog in the block. You can't have somebody else challenge you. That's what did the Romans. That's what made them say, you know what? Yeah, we probably should do something about this Jesus here. If he's going to claim to be a king, we've got, we got to get rid of him. You can't do that. There's only one king. So he's stripped naked. We're not talking loincloths. This ain't no Christmas or Easter play here. He's naked. There are thorns that are close to two inches long that are woven together into a mock crown, and the soldiers jam that crown onto his head. There are whips that are not just leather straps. It's not like what you see, you know, with, 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 a, with a musical or whatever. Oh, it's the leather strap. But no, 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 no. Leather straps with hooks on the end. Leather straps that have shards of metal and bone woven into them. That are designed for one thing and one thing only. Ripping out as much flesh as possible. And so when those hooks grabbed into your back, into your body, and they were yanked out, his flesh was like ribbon. Chunks of tendon that came flying through. Most people did not survive a Roman scourging. The fact that Jesus survives it tells you how physically strong he had to have been just to make it. Then they put a beam on his back. Big cross beam that weighed about 100 pounds. They forced him to carry it 650 yards. After all of that, most people don't survive. He's still breathing. They give him this massive crossbeam that he has to carry six and a half football fields. Not flat. It's uphill. All right? No wonder he couldn't make it. And he had to have a guy named Simon to come alongside and help him get to where he had to go. 
So he gets up there on the cross, this place called Golgotha, or the skull. And they took nails. This is a railroad ties right here, but it's about the same length. It's about six inches, six and a half inches long. Pretty close to the standard length of the nails they would have used for Jesus. They did not put it through his, the palm of his hand, but rather, if you look at your wrist, and you just kind of flex a little bit, you can see these giant arteries and veins kind of cross, like they intersect a little bit. Kind of, that's, that's where they would nail you. So it goes that way, into your wrists. And he hangs naked on the cross. And it goes through his feet. And when they nailed you on the cross, they, they stretched you out as far as you could go. And they, they did your feet just enough to where you could, you could have to push up. And what you would do when you were on the cross is you would, you would, you would suffocate to death. You would hear, if you've ever been to a swimming pool during the summertime, and, and someone just jumps in and they, they kind of swallow water, right? They get up and they got that gurgling sound. They're kind of coughing. There's, you can tell there's fluid. They're kind of That's the sound you hear every time someone on the cross would push themselves up to breathe. Their lungs are filling with fluid and blood. And every time you push yourself up, you're gasping for breath, almost as if you're gulping, like that. And that is the noise you hear. It's highly likely you have internal organs and bone and tendon and all those types of elements of your body exposed for everybody to see. And that's bad, by the way, right? That's pretty bad. But for Jesus, that's not the worst part. Because the worst part was this. In all this suffering, Isaiah says, God laid our sin on him. Yeah, he was pierced for our transgressions. Yeah, he was. But he laid the sin on him. We talked about this last week. God is holy. He's holy. A holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. So as Christ lay dying... The sin of all humanity is levied on him. And for the first and the only time in his life, Jesus feels alone. And if you've ever been at a point in your life, and you haven't been there yet, I promise you you will, because we all go through this season at some point or another, where you feel you're alone. And you feel, you know what, God, I don't know where you are. I, I pray, I don't hear anything, I don't feel anything, I'm not... Jesus gets it. Because in this moment, he was alone. He doesn't feel God. He can't sense God's presence. So what does he do? He shouts. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he can't feel anything. You know what God promises he'll never do to us? He promises he'll never leave us, Right? It goes all the way back in the Old Testament when Moses and Israel, like, we, we go that far back where God promises he'll never leave us. You know what he does with Jesus? He leaves him. There's a promise that God makes to you and me that he doesn't break. But here he leaves Jesus. He's not there. And so, Jesus lifts his head one more time. He gives one more cry. And he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. And with a loud shout, he hangs his head and he dies.
The soldiers would come alongside and, and, and to hasten the death of the guys on the cross, they'd break your knees. Why? Because again, you couldn't push yourself up for air, right? So they break your knees, you can't push yourself for air, you're, you're, you're going to die. They do it to the two thieves, but they don't do it to Jesus, because when they get to Christ, he already appeared dead. So what do they do? They grab a, a spear, and they thrust it into the side of Jesus. In John 19, 34, he says, blood and water flowed out. Now, how in the world did that happen? You know, we don't have water inside of us. John is describing what he's, because he's an eyewitness. John actually was there. So John is describing what he's watching in the best terms he can come up with. There's some kind of fluid. It's not blood. I'm going to say water, because that's what it resembles the most to me. What was it? It was the pericardium. That is the fluid around your heart. The soldier pierces Jesus, and blood and water flows out. In some crazy, symbolic way, it's not inaccurate to say that Christ dies of a broken heart. As that blood and water begins to flow. All the stress, all the pain that he carried, all the sin, he had enough. Isaiah 53, 8-9, he continues, Unjustly condemned, he was led away. Now these are the trials before the Sanhedrin and Pilate that he's talking about here. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. The early 30s, no, not married, no kids, he dies young, right? But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, he had done no wrong, and he had not deceived anybody, but he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. Jesus has no burial plot. He's a criminal. You don't get that. But there was a man on the Sanhedrin named Joseph, who was a follower of Jesus. Now, Joseph did not approve of what was happening. But Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy guy, so he goes to Pilate, and he goes, Hey, let me have that body. Man of the body, give it to me. I got my own place carved out for me, but I'm going to put him in it, give it to him. And Pilate grants him this request. What's he doing? He doesn't know it. He's fulfilling the very words Isaiah has prophesied about. Matthew's account describes it like this, Matthew 27. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. And so Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth, and he placed it in his own tomb, which had been carved out of rock. And he rolled the stone over the entrance, and he left. Again, these were 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, right? Straight from him, his own words. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. It was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. We don't think about it because Christmas is so fun and so joyful and it's a great time. I'm not trying to rain your Christmas parade. I just want you to understand the magnitude of this though. Jesus was born to die. That's why he came. It was the Lord's plan to crush him. It was the Lord's plan to cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, from main descendants. So Isaiah just says, notice that he died without descendants, right? There's no, no wife, no kids. And yet, when God makes him an offering for sin, now he has made, how is that possible? Because God had given a promise to Abraham that he would bless the nations of the world through him. These are the followers of Jesus that, God, that Isaiah's talking about. You don't know it at the moment, at the time. But these are his followers. 
children of God, right? He will enjoy a long life. Wait, he's dead. How can that happen? We're talking about eternity. Already a little hint of resurrection three days later that would happen. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Verse number 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for what? For many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. It is because of the suffering servant, the sacrifice that Christ made, that all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? They shall be saved. You'll have hope. You'll have freedom. You'll have healing. You'll have a future. You are good because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. He was the perfect sacrifice bearing our sins. We might be counted as worthy by God. Righteous, forgiveness, healing, it's all there for you. When the Magi gave the gift of myrrh, it foreshadowed the role of Jesus as our sacrifice. And Christ knew this. It did not surprise him, by the way. He understood why he was born. He knew what his purpose was. He knew his role. He talked openly about it. That, I, want to, I want to take you to just one place. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. This is Jesus talking. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. And he'll be rejected by the elders, the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. And he'll be killed, but on the third day, he'll rise again. He'll rise from the dead. Sunday's coming. He knew what was required of him, but he didn't stop. Because in the next verse, he talks about what the person who wants to follow him must do. Look at what he says in the next verse, verse 23. And then he said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. I want you to really think about those words today. If you want to be my follower, you must pick up your cross and follow me. I just described to you what crucifixion was like, right? Pick up your cross. You, there's suffering and heart, it's going to come. Jesus did not promise, hey, you follow me and it's rainbows and puppy dogs and unicorns and life is great. He did not promise that. Pick up your cross. Suffering, hardship, it is a part of the life of following Jesus. Does not mean you're destined for that all the time? But if they persecuted Christ, if he had a difficult time, I mean, he says elsewhere, the student's not greater than the teacher, right? Like, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna come. You are going to face some of these things. The first step you take if you want to follow Christ just to get your foot through the door is you say a prayer. We, we lead this prayer quite often. We do it here at Radio. I, I, I'll tend to lead, I'll do it today when we're done. I lead a model prayer. What does it mean to follow Jesus? That's the first step, though. That's not the end-all, be-all. He didn't say, follow me with this prayer, and you got to take it to heaven, and it'll all be okay. A lot of folks would, would agree with that. Say, Pastor, that's exactly right. It's more than just a prayer. It is more than just a prayer. You're absolutely right about that. The part that we struggle with is the uh, giving up our own way part. Give up your own way. Well, I don't really want to do that. I kind of like how I'm doing. I like, I like my life. I like, I like how I'm doing things. Like, what, what do I, I don't want to change that. I don't even agree with that thing. Why would I do that? Because when you begin to follow Jesus, your life is not your own anymore. It belongs to him. You've surrendered over to Jesus. You can't live how you want any longer. You can't live for yourself because it's not about you. 
Isaiah says we're all like sheep, having gone our own way. Jesus calls you out from that life. He calls you out. He says, hey man, I got a different way for you now. There's a different way to live now. Stop, stop doing your own thing. You want to follow me? You got to stop. Pick up your cross. Come follow me daily. Every single day we surrender over to Jesus. Every single day we have to make the decision to follow him. And following Christ is not a hobby. It's not some add-on label that describes your life and how you are. It, 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 is, it is an all-or-nothing ordeal. You are all in or you're not in at all. You're all in or not at all. That's the way he looks at it. You don't make the choice to follow Christ lightly. It is not something that you just flippantly do. You make it counting the cost. Jesus said another, another message I don't have time to get into today, but another message Christ will say, look, a king counts the cost of war. Do I have the supplies? Do I have the men? Do I have the right strategy? Then he goes and does it. And he says, look, if you're going to follow me, don't just say, oh yeah, I'm all in. Like, no, no, no. It's not a trendy thing to do. Like, if you're going to follow me, you go all in. Think about it for a second. Think about what's going to cost you. Think about what, what will change in your life. Think about all these things, because when you follow me, you're all in. You have to deny yourself and surrender your life to Jesus. I tell you, man, I, I, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. I, I, love, I love Santa. I know some of y'all ain't like that, but I love Santa Claus, man. Jolly fat guy, I love him. Trees, I like the lights. I love the Grinch. You know, I was called a Grinch yesterday, but I like the Grinch. Uh, the cookies are I should not love, but I love them too. All right? I love all things that come with it. Um, I, I'm not one of those guys that thinks you can't celebrate all your things with Christmas. Now, if you're that way, that's, that's fine. I have no problem with that. It's just, just, just me, okay? I think joy and fun are fantastic because they emanate from the heart of God. It's who God is, too. But the reason we have so much joy and the reason we have fun, the reason we have lights and beauty and such a great time of year, the reason we have all those things is because of Jesus who became sin for us and suffered for our sakes. He died for your hypocrisy. He died for your greed. He died for your lies. He died for your lust. He died for your prejudicial viewpoints. He died for everything, all the things that are wrong, all the things that are sin. Christ died so we would have life. Myrrh is given as a gift. And it was given by the Magi to declare this toddler they were facing was born to die so we might live. Christ was crushed for you, man, so you could be you know, forgiven and scourged so you could be healed and crucified so you might live. And he rose again three days later to seal the deal so that when you say yes, all the promises that God has for his people can belong to you including an eternal home in his kingdom. When you have a loved one who knows the Father, who knows Jesus and dies, it is not goodbye. It is see you later. And it is only see you later because of what Jesus did for us. I don't follow Christ because it's in a, a culturally acceptable type kind of thing to do. It's kind of fading more and more in the Deep South. I grew up in the Deep South. Everyone went to church when I was growing up still in the 90s. No one does it so much now just to go to church, although we have pockets that are like that. I, I, I do it because I'm all in. I follow Christ because, yeah, He does make me a better person. Yeah, He, he does connect me to a greater community than myself. I, I think this is important to be a part of a church community. 
but I follow him because for many years ago it all kind of clicked for me. I grew up in church, I was around all this kind of stuff, I was kind of numb to it, but it clicked for me my sophomore year at the University of South Carolina on that late, late Thursday evening where I got down on my knees in my dorm room and I just told God, I, I, I'm done living this way, I'm, I'm in. And everything began to click and I was all in and my life has never been the same since. I've changed course from where I was going to go. I could give you my whole life story. I've kind of done it in parts over the last couple of years anyway. But I, I could give it to you and you would see my life has totally changed because of Jesus. And I'm never the same. Larry, come on up. If you're here today and, and you were caught up and all the demands that life can bring. And oh my goodness, I feel like life is more and more demanding. And just everything is more complicated. Everything is more heady. It's just, it's just tough. Christmas season certainly can do that. I love Christmas, but as we all know in here, if you have a thousand Christmas parties to go to and family things, Christmas can get kind of draining too. Look, you've been caught up in all of that. Then you should probably take some time before we leave today just to thank the Lord. Just to honor Him. Hey, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you died for me. Thank you for suffering. Thank you for being the suffering servant who was the sacrifice that took away my sin. Thank you for that. I realize perhaps you might be here today or, or maybe you're watching online or listening online and maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior too, right? Like you would say, you would not say, Pastor, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian. Maybe you would not say that today, right? And, and, and that's fine. Like, no one's going to call you out and no one's going to Bible thump you. Like we've all, we've all been there. I get that. But maybe you're here today and that is you and you're saying, you know, here's, here's the deal. Like I want, I want to do that, but I'm, I'm just... I'm not sure about a few things, but I feel pulled that way. And here's my best advice for you. Yes, count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. That's so important. If you have questions about things, if you're not sure about some stuff, look, when you, when you say yes to Christ, you don't have to sit there and agree to every single theological tenet that's out there. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things Christians are divided over. You don't have to have it all together. Let's get in the door first. Let's know God. We know that, that's, that's most important. Let's come to know God. And we're going to work on the other stuff after that. That's called discipleship. We grow and we learn and we sort some things out along this journey of becoming like Jesus. But let's make that step to say yes. And if you're ready for that, if you've thought about this, if, you've, if, you're, if you're ready for that, today I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to say a prayer. It's, just a, it's, a, it's a model prayer. And you can say it in your own words. You don't have to say it out loud, but it's going to go something kind of like this. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to make Christ our Savior first, who saves us from our sins. Then we're going to make Him Lord of our lives. And being Lord of our lives means that I'm not going to follow my way anymore. I'm a sheep. I'm not going my own way. I'm following the shepherd. I'm going after him. And where he leads me, I, I, I'm going to follow. And it's going to go like this. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for the wrongs that I've done. I know that my sin violates your standards. And I'm aware today, God, that it was my sin that put you on that cross. Lord, I, I, I'm thankful that you paid that penalty. I'm thankful, God, that you sent your son to die so I might live. And, and I'm here today to say, I 
need Jesus in my life. And so from today forward, I'm asking that you would be my Savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you cleanse me of the wrong that I've done? Would you make me whole? Would you save me here today? I don't need you just to be my Savior today. God, just to be honest, I, I, need, I need you to be my Lord. Because I've lived my own way, and I've done my own thing. And God, it's, I can see it has not worked out. I, I don't want to live for me any longer. I, I want to live for you. So from this day forward, Jesus, will you be the Lord of my life? I'm going to surrender my life over to you. I'm going to give everything I have over to you. And wherever you lead me, God, I'm going to follow you. You're, you're my shepherd, and I'm going where you guide me. Lord, you tell me what to do. You tell me where to go. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to commit myself to being there because I want to be all in for you. Be my Savior and be my Lord today. Father, for those who are already believers this morning, they're already followers of Jesus. Uh, it, it, life can be tough. It can be so demanding. And there are times, especially this time of year, we have so much going on. There are times, God, where just to be honest, we, we just don't think. We don't think about the sacrifice. We, we see that baby Jesus and it, you know, we think of all the joy and all the great things babies bring. And that's all true. But my goodness, we can't lose sight of the real reason you came. You came so we could have life. You were the suffering servant. So we might have forgiveness and hope and healing. And Lord, I pray that, that we would live our lives, not just in this Christmas season, God, live our lives in every season, Lord, where our hearts are bent towards gratitude for who you are and what you've done where our lives, God, are, are fully committed into your hands. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for being our sacrifice. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.